Andy, my dude, have you heard of the magical website builder known as Squarespace? Ugh, not another Squarespace ad. I feel like every podcast is sponsored by them. <laughs> hey, 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 don't knock it till you try it. Yes, okay, it is overhyped. But actually, it lives up to the hype. Squarespace is like a website fairy godmother. With a click of a button, your site transforms into a beautiful masterpiece. A website fairy godmother? That sounds interesting. What makes it so magical? Well, for starters, those slick templates make anyone look like a professional web designer. Pick one, customize the colors and fonts to match your brand, and voila. Plus, the drag-and-drop fluid engine is so easy, your grandma could build a site on Squarespace. Well, she did knit me a lovely scarf last Christmas. Maybe website design is next. Exactly. And when you're ready to sell your Nana's handmade scarves online, Squarespace has built-in e-commerce. Add a store with one click. Get flexible payment options. Then watch those sales roll in. And when she wants to teach others her steezy scarf skills, Squarespace's new courses feature is just the ticket. Nana can set up her curriculum and enrollments and payments in a snap and become the next e-knitting influencer. Wow, you really sold me with the grandma angle. Sign me up for that free try. Just go to thenextreel.com slash Squarespace and transform your site into a beautiful Squarespace masterpiece. Well, thanks, Pete. Even though it's overhyped, Squarespace actually sounds perfect for Nana's site's needs. Appreciate the warning on the ads, though. I'll brace myself next time I listen to a podcast. Anytime. Let me know if you need any help getting that site up and running. Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to support our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee, or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe? We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. Black GI, is it fair to serve more than the white Americans that sent you here? Nothing is more confused than to be ordered into a war to die without the faintest idea of what's going on. I dedicate this next record to the soul brothers of the 1st Infantry Divisions. Be safe. Gentlemen, welcome back to Vietnam. Look at that sound. 
Dirty man in all his glory. Who was that guy? That brother was the best damn soldier that ever lived. We bury it. They don't. We come back and collect. Coming to you now from scattered makeshift office areas and residential-style quarantine boxes, it's the film board from the next reel on Rashpixel.fm. We spoil movies, and this month, the definitions of new original content and new film release is beginning to merge for us, and it'll be interesting to see where the industry moves as theaters generally remain closed and opening criteria remain somewhat unclear. Spike Lee's new movie, The Five Bloods, was released on Netflix this past Friday, June 12th, and is available to all subscribers right now. We may have called this new original content in the past, but regardless of what you call it, this new film release makes sense for us to gather together and talk through. At the next reel, when the movie ends, our conversation begins, and there's so much to talk about with this one. Let your voice be heard by connecting with us on Discord. We have a server there where film fans like you from all over the globe discuss details about all our shows and the entertainment industry as a whole. We're always working for a better and more interactive experience, so come and enlist with our army of cinephiles. Check out all the details at thenextreel.com. I usually try to avoid war metaphors when I'm writing the stuff, but I feel like with The Five Bloods, it may be appropriate. So let's dig in to the time frame as I introduce our hosts with an odd question, but one that's potentially appropriate for this kind of trip. Gentlemen, have you learned more about the Vietnam War from movies or some other source? Tell me about it for you, Tommy Hansen. An interesting question. You can tell by my voice. Uh, that's my interesting question voice. Definitely movies were my inter, uh, my intro, intro into it. Uh, by the time I saw Platoon and stuff, it was really starting to crystallize as the incredible experience. <laughs> incredible experience. The r- ridiculous experience that it was. Uh, and then there was also a book that my father recommended called... Uh, Quay 1968 by Mark Bowden, who also Hmm. wrote Black Hawk Down, which is this big. You can't see, but it's enormous. It's exhaustive. It's about the Tet Offensive, and it's incredible. And finally, just before he died, uh, my late grandfather, who flew bombers in World War II, Vietnam, and Korea. Uh, Uh, In all three wars? Correct. Yes. He he was awarded two different uh, distinguished flying crosses. He was in the Air Force. So, but he, not to... He didn't really talk about it very much yeah. uh, until very near to his passing. So, yeah. So that's where I get but, it from. Thank you for asking that, that question. That's interesting. And I kind of want to get into that. How about you, Pete? Right. Is it movie movies or other? Well, I would like to first say that Mark Bowden is a uh, I'm really glad you mentioned Mark Bowden because he is a prior guest on this show. I interviewed him uh, a number of that's years ago right. when we did our series. Uh, on the works of uh, on on Black Hot Down, and he's a fantastic person. And we should put the link to that in the show notes okay. because he was a, a delightful interview. Um, I, my uh, my dad was in all the wars and is now the director of the Interplanetary Space Force, so he knows a lot about war too. So he's probably better than Tommy's family uh, in some way. But, <laughs> Seems uh, rude. No, it, it, you know, uh, it, my dad was uh, he was in the Navy. He's a, a Navy vet, but he was a Navy journalist, and so his entire um, like his entire job was to talk about the war mm-hmm. and to talk about what the what was going on in real time. And um, and so he was, you know, he's a journalist all my life growing up. And so he was very actively engaged in history. And it was an important part of um, 
you know, of, of my experience with him growing up was was having conversations. So I would say probably people since then, right, in my adult uh, career, <laughs> that's sure. weird, uh, in my adult life, it, it is it's been movies. But, you know, my formative sort of before I was 21, it was it was dad. Mm. It was kind of reliving history through his experience reporting on it. Well, that's awesome. And then let's welcome to the conversation, Steve Sarmento. What's what's your Vietnam story? So it's like flip flop of Pete because for me it was all movies. Uh-huh. So working in a video store in high school. So you know, Apocalypse Now, uh, Deer Hunter, you know, Platoon, all of that. And then uh, when I got into college, uh, I had a neighbor that moved into the house, you know, where my my family lived, and. So I started getting secondhand stories because my dad would go over there on, on poker night. So I started to hear stories from from them, from him, which were fascinating. I have no idea how many of them were true. Uh, he had seen some really rough stuff, but you know there were some stories there. My uncle served. You know he when he came back, he stayed in California, so I never really got a chance to hear stories from him. Uh, my father in law was in the air cavalry, so wow. did not still he does not talk about it except for the brief period of time when my wife and I lived in Alexandria, Virginia, and uh, you know my in laws came out to visit. We toured you know all the memorials, of the Vietnam Wall, and he you know was looking at one of the statues and said, "Oh yeah, that's that's like the gun that I would carry," and that's wow. pretty much. It uh, still doesn't talk about it really at all. So yeah. that's I think it's what's interesting is for our generation, there's a lot of close family that that were involved, but the stories just did not come back. And I think that speaks volumes to what things were like over there. So that's kind of why I, I wanted to talk about this first. I, I'm JJ, and yeah. I asked that question to you guys because I think I think Pete, your your experience with your dad as a journalist is is probably a little bit different. Um, my dad mm-hmm. was a, a Navy veteran too. He did two tours in Nam, and he never talked about it. Like he, he, he didn't talk about the Navy at all, but then he definitely didn't talk about Vietnam. And I think that's, it's an unfortunate, but common story regarding, you know, primary sources about that period in our history, because I think we need these stories. I think, I think it's essential for us to learn about what happened, what be, be right or wrong, you know? And, and, and I think we still have stories to learn from Vietnam and there's, immense numbers of great movies. I mean, that everybody's brought up different movies as we're sat here and talk about it. That's great. There's there's so many great movies and content that are set in that period. And now the reason why I wanted to intro this movie that way is because this movie, it's not a first-hand account true story sort of thing. But, it, but Spike Lee has created an amalgam type of a vehicle to portray the experience of the black GI with a story like this. And I think that's a really interesting way to bring to this because I don't know that I've seen this story told this way before. So I think it's yet another thing to kind of put in to the, the movie landscape to teach us about Vietnam and, and what happened during that time. Anyway, I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's um, let's get initial thoughts from you guys about these movies. How was The Five Bloods for you, Steve Sarmento? Well, this is an interesting question to, to start with because as I watched this, I was expecting a Vietnam War movie okay. because that's you know what you got in the trailer. But for me, this isn't really a Vietnam War movie. Mm-hmm. It's really a... Well, is it even a war movie? Because it's a it's really about struggling with the, the being haunted by the past, and part of that has to do with being in Vietnam. But there are a lot of other things because we we see from the get go, it, it sets the tone for the era that uh, these guys are going to be. I guess from their from their past, what the past that is haunting them. We've got all those that archival footage, um, and it remind as I was watching that, it reminded me 
uh, particularly the Democratic National Convention, because my dad was going to art school in downtown Chicago at that time. And I remember in high school asking him about that time. And he said, it felt like the world was going to end every day. And I think that collage at the beginning really sets that tone with just violence and shooting and everything and just the the tension that was going on. So for me, this was really about the the consequences of that and the, the impact that's had on this group of four men. And the Vietnam is part of it because they go back there. But it's really, for me, it's it's another story, I, I feel like, of the baby boomer, boomer generation sort of digging into their past and and reevaluating things and looking at that because we've got four different guys uh, that are in very different places in their lives, that, and but they still have something in common. And for me, it's really about that that brotherhood. And I guess that's why the film has the title it does. It is about the these five guys and the relationships there and how despite everything that the world will throw at them, there are some bonds that that last and endure. Um, and for me, that's what that was that's what the strength of this story really is. And I I really, really enjoyed it. It's not the movie I expected, but it is definitely one that I'm looking forward to watching again. Cool. Cool. I'm glad you liked it. And it is a different take on it. I, I, I think I might agree with you that it's not essentially a war movie, um, but it's definitely the vehicle that we have there in it. Uh, Pete, how did, how did it hit you? Well, very well. Uh, you know, we're coming on the heels of, of, uh, you know, exploring Spike Lee in some detail. We did a number of his films on the, on the, the main show. And uh, I, I feel like I, I learned a lot about just experiencing Spike Lee's films, watching them back to back uh, like we did. And this movie, uh, as a result, I think it, this this movie is a showcase of all of the, the things that Spike Lee has been doing over the years mm. uh, writ large. Right. I mean, he uh, it is the most opinionated Spike Lee film that I have seen. Wow. And. I am a fan of opinionated Spike Lee films, right? I'm a big fan of Bamboozled. That was yeah. a master master class. That's my favorite of his. Um, yeah. but, right? I mean, it's extraordinary. This this movie, I think he's he, I where I struggled with this movie was where I feel like he his cup runneth over right now as a director, as a creator, as a man, as a human being with things to say. Sure. And he put so many of them in this movie um, that um, that at times I wondered, is this is this too much? Mm. Uh, you know, are we trying to do too much with this movie? Um, it is. Uh, but it's I found it extraordinary. I, I think his um, his hand is is so um Full and strong as a visual filmmaker, uh, there are things that he does that I would never do on a project that I'm working on. But it it's it's a Spike Lee thing, and I get it, and I get what I get what he's doing. And even when I feel like he's hammering me over the head with a point, I'm 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 generally in it with him. So yeah. I can't wait to talk about some of these details. It generally worked for me, um, and but uh, I I am aware that much of the reason it works for me is because I am such a, a Spike Lee fan. Cool. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Uh, Tommy, yeah. Tommy, what, what was it like for you watching Defy Bloods? It was a really interesting film to watch, both for its, for its, for my opinions of its failures and its successes. I mean, I found it to be very messy. I found it to be overlong at times, overly melodramatic and episodic. 
but there was such a depth of feeling and rage and sense of history and so much ambition in it that ultimately it's a film that I'm really glad that I had a chance to watch. Cool. Yeah. I think for me, I, I'm in a, I'm in a weird place about it. I think, I think I was taken out of the experience of this movie quite a bit by the, by the Netflix release to be, to be honest. Um, mm. it, that mixed with, um, you know, Steve, you were talking about the archival footage and, uh, and the cutaways and the way that, uh, the, the way that they inserted a number of them. Um, it made it feel more like a TV show to me. And I don't think that's a fault of the movie. I think it was difficult for me to have the right movie viewing experience when watching this because I was, you know, laying on my bed watching it, this kind of thing, as opposed to getting into it with it was there. And I think some of the things you were talking about, about uh, melodrama, Tommy, for example, um, you know, with the the score and whatnot, it didn't match my feeling, but that might've been just because I couldn't get there. So, um, so for me, it wasn't, it, it wasn't that, but at the same time, I had a really emotional time with this movie. When I was in it, I was in it in a very thick way. Uh, and I want to get to talking about that too. So, um, so before we get started with it, I think that there's just so much to talk about this movie, similar to what you were talking about, Pete, of like, <laughs> there's going to be a lot of points to get to here. I'm going to do a quick synopsis of what the movie is. And I don't think there's too much of a spoiler in here, but just to get us all on the same page of where we're at, um, let's talk about what the movie is. It's, it's about, we've all talked about, you know, four black Vietnam veterans returning to fulfill a promise to a brother who fell in battle. Um, in an effort to recover his remains and unearth a secret treasure of gold that they discovered while fighting in the war. They're presented with difficult challenges related to their bonds together, uh, some perspective-shifting surprises regarding what they left in country, and the maddening lust of unthinkable wealth. Um, the characters range uh, change, actually, in differing ways as they are forced to confront their wartime sins as well as the prospect of new temptation. Everyone feels like they have a claim to the fortune from the main characters to the others brought into their orbit and the local Vietnamese people too. Uh, while the war is over, all these sides continue to fight for freedom and respect. So uh, that, you know, that doesn't get into any of the points specifically, but from a very high level thing, um, we're talking about what happens in this movie and it's not a war movie, but there's a lot of fighting. There's a lot of gunplay. There's a lot of, there's a lot of tactical stuff actually going on in it. Um, but the big story, you know, it kind of uh, centers on this gold, right, that they found while they were fighting uh, as brothers together in the war. Um, and I feel like there's so many different takes on what it could be as a metaphor. Is gold, is this, I mean, I mentioned they're fighting for freedom of respect. Is gold salvation here? Or is it, is this the, is this the feelings that they buried along with what they were doing in the war? Like, what was it when you watched? What did the gold mean to you? Such a great question, because I, you know, for me, it, it was it, it was very much a metaphor for their experience of friendship because it unites them in leaving Vietnam and having something to come back or together, but it is also ultimately their undoing, yeah. right? Their their friendships, their bond is not that strong, right? As their as their friend character is, he says, "This is gold." He he was Norman was right, and then steps on a mine and blows up. That's also a metaphor, right? Yeah. That was a a horrific sequence that described exactly what they were going for, that the gold was the MacGuffin, right? And that they should not have been paying such attention to this search for gold because in doing so, they lost their way with their friendship. That's a great point to think of it as not necessarily 
not not a a story metaphor, but a, a MacGuffin to really yeah. challenge them with what they had and what they need. Yeah, because all of them had to come back to Vietnam for some reason, right? They all, in, as part of the story, they all had something to do in Vietnam to make themselves whole again. And they they each sort of go through that process, you know, and, and I think the story of, of Otis and Chin and, and uh, you know, meeting his daughter was so interesting. It was just captivating to me. And we get two scenes. I wanted more of that. Yeah. Uh, I, I found that fascinating. But ultimately, to, to Paul's experience, actually, you know, resolving his relationship with the ghost of of Nelson was, I, I thought, Norman, extraordinarily yes. powerful. Norman, yeah. Uh, extraordinary powerful. So they, they they each had their reason to do it. It wasn't the gold. The gold was just the surface element that got them there and ultimately drove them apart. Yeah, I think, and to echo that, I think it's uh, that the gold was a redemption in a certain way. Redemption and a freedom as a way to kind of try to move on. Because as we learn when they go back there, they never really left. Right. In the same way right. that Pete is saying of like, they all have different connections to it, especially with the character of Del Rolindo's Paul. He has never left. Right. Everything right. has been just, he's still fighting that for so many different reasons. And so I think it's a chance at redemption and a second chance to remake your life in a way that was never offered as is stated very obviously in the film by America, by the right. American government, mm-hmm. the promise that was never delivered. Well, and then you think about everyone divvying up their shares. Like if you go with your line of talking here, right? Like if, if everyone's divvying up their shares of redemption, is it even really redeeming? Mm-hmm. Right? right. I mean, mm-hmm. like who gets a full share and who gets it? It's like, that's where it becomes the MacGuffin of like, it's, it's not worth it. And I, I mean, that yeah. scene that, that Pete brought up with the landmine is just like, oh, just hammers, hammers at home um, to that yeah. whole piece there. It's a, uh, it's. But- to your point, JJ, it all comes back to the math, which over the course of the film, the share math becomes nonsense. Right. Right. I mean, it is yeah. ab- it's theater of the absurd in their relationship. And I, I think that makes it uh, uh, really powerful. Steve, what was your take on it? Yeah, I, I'm going to side with Pete. I think it's the MacGuffin. But I mean, I think you have to come back to what Norman, you know, Hit what he sets the tone with of it's 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 power it's going to get them what they what's been due to them um that's the whole reason to to take this back it's what is owed to their people and they need to bring that back and what happens you know when you know now it's about my own personal benefit you know and that's the of like they they came back and it was even worse for them, you know, they they left huge chunks of themselves there, but their lives are not, you know, they may put put on the facade because we've got, you know, the, you know, car dealer who's got nothing. You know, his name is on the dealerships, but he's made bad choices. He's got no money. So he needs this to to make himself whole. And I think that's what's happened here is they get greedy and it's about making themselves whole versus what Norman set up for them, which is we're doing this for everybody back home. That's, that's fighting the same fight. And this is what everyone is due. And I think, so for me, it is that MacGuffin, but it ties into sort of the redemption piece because money is power, money is status. And if we can get this back and we can give it to everybody, then we can start making a difference. Right. And it's interesting that the, the battle that they had with, 
fighting the urge to support the community and finding yeah. fight it and fight and the urge to support their individual redemption. I think that's one of the right. really beautiful things about this story as it goes through. One of the things that you said, Tommy, I think is really interesting here too, when we think about um, that they never stop fighting, right? The war never end. We actually have that comment from their guide, Vin, at one point when they're in right. the temple ruins late in the movie. And he says, you know, wars never really end. And he looked to me, it, he yeah. doesn't really... He doesn't really look like he's of the age, right, that would have participated in the war. He looks like he's younger, but he's making the point that even though the war is officially over, it's still being fought, which I think was interesting, too, when you start looking at um, how Spike Lee chose to tell this story. There's this one kind of big filmmaking decision, right, that uh, there's so many things that are told to us in flashback here. And um, with our Norman, played by Chadwick Boseman, um, who died there, he is. Uh, essentially always that form in flashback and yet the other four actors are all not de-aged right the actors that we see in present time are the same they look the same age when they're fighting in, in nam i think from a story aspect what you were talking about tommy that connects for me there i didn't get it when i saw it in the movie uh, I was confused at why uh, Delroy Lindo in particular is, right. is like an old guy in Vietnam and he's an old guy in the future. But um, but it makes sense for the storytelling here. The first time that we were in the the first uh, real flashback when we're in the uh, uh, helicopter and you see Jedward mm-hmm. Bosman with all of them, I went, oh, no, right. like, this, this isn't going to work. Yeah. Like, oh, no, is this Netflix money or what's happening? This is what a weird choice. But when you think about the past, I think a lot of times you put yourself in your current age back then. The fact that they mm-hmm. never left, the fact that it is. Chadwick Boseman, who is really like a Christ-like figure by the end of it, preaching to these older men, it worked for me. It really ended up, at some point I stopped caring about that at all, and it really seemed like a smart decision, not a financial decision, which I liked. But there's a, real, there's a really interesting thing about that, you guys. Did you catch the one the, picture the photo. where they were de-aged? It's, it's, yeah. it's twice. It's twice. Yeah. It's, it's once in the beginning because I went back to watch that whole opening piece again because there's so much text on the screen. Right. Yeah. You know, with, with names of people. So I wanted to go back and watch that again after I finished the movie to see what what is all the text in here. And I and I saw the photo again because it is so it's in the front and at the end nice. where they do have the they do have the younger versions of themselves. Yeah, the yeah. sort of the DH. And photo. that really yeah. works to back up yeah. that idea is that he Chadwick Boseman's preaching which may be a little bit platitudish for me, maybe a little heavy handed for me. He, all of those points still work to these now older men. Mm-hmm. Nothing right. has changed yeah. enough. So they it. might as well be those older men back in that situation. I thought it was really smart. I think it is really smart. And I, I will tell I mean, I, I want to reiterate the point that I didn't get it when I saw the movie. I thought it w- I was confused by it for a good amount of time. But like you, Tom, <laughs> as we went through, I started forgetting about it. But I didn't sure. realize the connection until we started having this conversation right now. So I'm, I'm super happy about that. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, we uh, we talk about Paul. That's Delroy Lindo. And I think uh, interesting, I, I feel that this movie kind of becomes his story. I know that there are other stories to be told here, too. But he really becomes the central figure in this movie, um, and I think it's really, uh, I think it's really interesting to see how his his uh, life changes over the course of this movie in the in what he's trying to accomplish by going back to Vietnam. He was 
a Trump supporter. He wore a MAGA hat. There's all these pieces. And he does actively descend into madness through all mm-hmm. these things and for a number of different reasons. What did you, did you guys buy it? Did you go with him on this ride? Um, I love Delroy Lindo. I was super happy with the stuff he brought. Um, a lot of the changes with the, with the character when they felt like they were on a pin or on a dime, I, I didn't necessarily get pulled with him. I was, I was a little bit behind when he was Hmm. changing in the love for his son or the, you know, the backstabber of his son. That's what he said at one point. It was a little hard for me to go with him, but I think it was an amazing movie for that actor. And I think he delivered a really interesting performance considering that. I will say that I agree with you that it's his, his story primarily. And that there, there are two pieces that I think really worked for me. And there's a, and I can't pinpoint the one, but there, he's, he's talking about basically how it has to do with control and how he feels like he's not in control of his own life. And then there's his, then there's what I'm going to call his soliloquy as he's Mm. off on his own directly to the camera where we find out that he possibly has cancer. cancer. Mm. Right. Um, But basically he's going to die on it. Right. Yeah. He's going to die on his own terms. So we've got what I sort of came to the conclusion of, as I piece things together is he's a man who came back, felt like he has no control of his life. He's got this unresolved guilt and he is determined to assert control in his life. And so for me, that makes sense for him to be the MAGA hat wearing guy of here's somebody that understands that that is a, a control person that's going to exert control and, and rein things in for somebody who feels like the world is spinning out of control. So it made sense for me. And I, I was able to assemble that by the time I got to the end of it, because at first I wasn't sure, but there were key moments that I feel like really made it a powerful story for him. Um, and I, I feel like almost to the detriment of some of the other characters, because it seems like his story just had so much more emotion to it than the others that I just didn't connect with all of them as, as much like I honestly, Melvin, I don't know anything about him, you know, and, and, and Eddie steps on a mind, but we know a little bit about him. Uh, but it's really about Paul and Otis. Um, yeah. and who have, who have the exact like opposite experiences of, you know, resolution with family, I think. In a well, and, way. and if this isn't Delroy yeah. Lindo's best actor nod and all four yeah. of them, you know, competing for best supporting, I don't know yeah. how else this movie gets like, <laughs> they, they were yeah. there to, to, to yeah. get him to Vietnam. They were there to get him into that river, yeah. uh, at the end of the movie. And, um. I mean, it, that is so clear when you look at even the the sort of sub stories around Otis that just didn't get really fulfilled. Yeah. 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 But I, I was to answer that question. I mean, I was right in it. I, I'm it took me a long time to feel like I was getting in it with Delroy Lindo. I, I struggled in the first hour, uh, but I, I think it was uh, right around when they got when they they got the gold and they're all trudging back up the road and everything's really heavy. I was so glad that everything yes, was heavy. Right. Appropriately that their pockets, heavy. Like they, yeah, they couldn't walk. And I thought that was amazing. Like, thank, thank you for making gold heavy in this movie. <laughs> that was just, it's a weird, stupid bit of attention to yeah. detail that I think is, is lost. No, but it's like uh, three Kings so. when they have to learn the tensile yeah. strength of the bags. 
And yes. Ice Cube knows it because he works at an airport. Yeah, transporting yes. that amount of gold is impossible. <laughs> Nightmare. It's impossible. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. And so I thought that was really Which is delightful. a heavy burden to, I mean, you can also. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. It yeah. keeps playing out. Yeah. Uh, when they get into the the skirmish with the, you know, with the, the guys who try to take the gold. Um, is, are you talking about I, I, just I, coming out of the forest and being approached by yeah. the cars? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It was that sequence when I I felt like okay, they're doing a couple of things here that are really interesting. One, um, these are older men, and they don't portray them as buffoons now because of their age. Right. They Love are that. still very much soldiers, yep. right? And I thought that was a really powerful statement. Back to some things that you, that all of you guys have said about how these guys never left. Uh, Vietnam, that they they were soldiers then, and their nightmare continues, and their skills continue. You know, when when uh, David gets shot, and you know the, the medic skill comes out, right? right. And he's tourniquet, you know, yeah. tourniquet. He's tightening him up, and there was there was never any question that their age led to inexperience. And I thought that right. was a really a, a wonderful way to portray these guys. Yeah. But but two, I finally got a point that I, I finally feel like I got a bead on Delroy Lindo's okay. pain. And mm-hmm. from that point on, I was on the character ride with him. So by the time he starts staring directly at the camera, which was deeply disquieting <laughs> for me, yes. uh, I, I was with him dramatically. And I thought that is an incredibly interesting and, and courageous choice spike and delroy let's see where this goes yeah for me because i definitely i can identify with what you're saying jj about some of the pinballing you can call it i sure. mean the movie has whiplash tonal shifts yeah at times a lot of that is on the back of mel Truly. of melvin the son melvin who is like madcap and crazy and then is immediately supposed to start crying i mean those are problematic for me but um the for son, me the son david as you mean Yes, who's Melvin? Yeah. Melvin is the guy with the uh, metal detector. Good to know. Anyways, <laughs> uh, I couldn't see. You know, I, really, case in point. Yeah. All of that. Well, poor case Melvin. In point. I mean, you guys already brought up like the Melvin story is very <laughs> right. small. But the well, uh, isn't it great? He only finds the gold. He doesn't carry he, the gold. He He's that. his own metaphor. That, well, good right. point. <laughs> What I was going to say, though, is for me that the Delroy before the soliloquy into the camera, the most. Because I did have a lot of trouble with Delroy Lindo's character in a way that I think we're supposed to. That really long uncut shot past the shoulders of two of his friends as uh, Delroy Lindo just finally takes his bag, separates from the group and just marches into the wilderness. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That can be said. Certain people can say that is a Trump supporter. Certain people can oh. say that is a uh, just an African-American person in America. There's so much of just he is ranting a bit. He's understandably angry, but he's also lashing out. And he has decided, I know what's best to right. Steve's effort. I know what's best and I'm going to get it done by myself because I can't count on anyone else as he walks away from his only possible salvation into the wilderness. Yeah. I mean, into a jungle that has been already so unforgiving. That scene, that shot was the most moving for me in the entire movie. I, I love how you said that, Tommy, because that's, that's something for me that I think this movie does really well as, as sort of overwrought as it feels if I let it all sit in my brain at once. Uh, that scene represents, I, I think, a choice to let grief be heard hmm. by people whose ideological worldviews 
I do not agree with. Mm. But it does not uh, it, it doesn't mean that that grief isn't real, that that heartbreak isn't right. real, that that they don't feel as strongly as I do about name the cause. Right. right? right. It, it's it, and I think that that's one of the things to be celebrated about this movie, that everybody feels and allows you to see their pain. You know, I, I think an authentic way, a natural way. Yeah, I, I I love that you guys bring up the the emotional aspects of this. The the this the looking into the camera piece was I think disquieting is a great word to use for it. It 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 didn't that particular thing didn't one hundred percent work for me because I didn't I couldn't I was scared I, I I couldn't connect with the emotions that I was feeling in that moment right and I know that it's going to work differently for other people out there. I love Tommy that you bring up the walking away alone. The big emotional hits for me in this um, where they all put in their hand at the prayer at um, at uh, Norman's grave. Mm-hmm. And then David tells a prayer and this shot is from above on the hands, mm-hmm. slowly backing away. I'm yeah. getting emotional even talking about it. Slowly backing away as David, who wasn't there, is praying over the body of Norman. Like that was really heavy for me. Eddie's death, we brought it up a couple times, This the landmine as he walks backwards into the landmine and then uh, dies. But then we see his final moments still shocking still calling out like no limbs right i mean yeah and i'm not i'm not saying it to be vulgar here i'm just saying it to sort of channel the emotion yeah no limbs and still still calling out his message right saying bloods like that it was huge and then of course the big salvation moment with norman forgiving forgiving paul for the friendly fire yeah. that we mm-hmm. learn right if if there's one major spoiler to tell here is that paul's grief is is self-inflicted because of friendly fire killing this person that he loves so much when when chadwick boseman says to him after this heartfelt forgiveness and apology and embrace he says you did get me though that <laughs> that piece it was just yeah. it delivered perfectly written perfectly like for the characters for everything they went through like the big emotional hits in this movie were really good. Were really, really good here. Were there any more? I mean, I, I don't want to not talk about these. Were there any other things that hit you guys really hard in terms of emotion? Oh, oh, Otis and his daughter at the end, that final callback. And I was I was kind of mad that she only got that little bit of uh, of play. Yeah. Um, but and especially when you have Tian talking about like. I was a whore and you were a black soldier and the white soldiers taught us like that our relationship was to be reviled. And then I had a child and I had to deal with that. And this and clearly this woman walks in who is stunning and powerful and strong and confident. So I'm left sort of with that echo through the entire course of the movie. What? How is that going to play out? How are they going to come back to that? And at the end, that that callback when when he goes to the door and they hug, that was the longest, most beautiful hug uh, in the movie for me. I thought that was just really lovely. Um, and even if I still felt like I, I kind of could have used more about that storyline in a movie that was already two hours and forty some odd minutes. Very long. much so. I that because that that really has to do with a little bit more difficult to talk about conflict. Yes. And I think for as powerful and as much rage as this movie has, I don't know, at risk of seeming insensitive, I felt like sometimes it shied away from the real difficult conflict yeah. and instead walked right up to pretty well-worn conflict and expressed rage about it. Uh, yeah. 
That's fair. The stuff that's already easy to get mad exactly. about. Exactly. Just, I guess you yeah. could say a trope. Yeah. So yeah. That, that was well, a disappointing thing for me in this movie. I'm I'm glad I'm not the only one to feel that way, Tommy. I I that that's 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 reinforcing. I I think the um um you know the whole experience like the, what this movie is a gift of for me is the experience of seeing this movie through characters and and I think their their experience through time that I haven't seen before. Mm. This movie does some things uniquely and gives me a perspective that is that is new. Um, because generally, even if it's black and white soldiers in Vietnam, it's a, it's generally a, an angsty soldier story that might have some of some racial terms and angst in it, but it's, it's more about the soldier's experience than it is about the fact that these soldiers had a substantively different experience Mm. than white soldiers in Vietnam. And I I I thank I'm thankful that this movie exists for that. Right. So, yep. Pete, I think the reason you want more out of that story of Otis and Tien and then the daughter is that for me that is the theme that underlies everything that <clears throat> plays out in this story from Norman's message of we've got to love each other to ending with Martin Luther King and the entire Marvin Gaye being present everywhere the constant message even as as paul his what is he he's singing that marvin gay song right before he gets shot is an enduring message of we've got to love each other that's the only way we're going to get out of this nonsense and so mm-hmm. since that is what i saw continuously raising its head throughout this film i was expecting as you were much more resolution with that, because that's, that's where we get that. We get that family that's been separated and coming together and unifying and bridging love across decades, reunification of that family to me should have, I should have felt more with that. And that's why I wanted more. And because I, I was struggling with why we, we didn't go there. We sure we need to see where the money goes and all that. That's the MacGuffin. But as we pointed out from the beginning, that's not what this is about. It's not about the gold. It's not about the money. Um, so that's the one thing, cause I thought if you end with Martin Luther King's speech and then point out the fact that one week later he was shot, I'm like, this is Spike's MLK movie. He did Malcolm X. Yeah. This is his MLK movie. And to not hit that a little harder, I felt, you know, that's what I really needed for this, for this film. And I could have, from the woman, I could have used a hint of not perfect woman, a hint of resentment, a hint of anger about how things turned out yeah. something she's not a mm-hmm. fully fleshed yeah. character right she's just yeah. there to bring him in serve him a great thing right. forgive him for everything and then make a platitude about race so i mean i think the female characters in this movie left something to be desired there could have oh, been sure. more from the, yeah. yeah 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 like i i just i realize as you're talking about that like the things that i'm i'm calling out about the daughter are just what you can see right not at all what you learn from who she is as a character sure. because she doesn't get a chance to. No, right. no. So yeah, no. That, I totally agree with that. Well, some quick history about this movie. Um, oh. The film was, this is directly from IMDb and I had no oh. idea about this before I did yeah. research. The, the film was originally titled The Last Tour. It was written by Danny Bilson and Paul DeMeo. It was about four aging white vets who were heading back to Vietnam. Oliver Stone was attached to direct it at one point, but moved on. Huh. So then, let me guess. Clint Eastwood was going to be in it. Yeah. Oh, really? 
Are you serious? No, oh, okay. <laughs> so the producer read in an interview that uh, Lee's, Spike Lee's favorite film is The Treasure of the Sierra Madre oh, and thought that right. Lee would appreciate the similar elements in the last tour. Lee liked the premise and he and his co-writer, Kevin Wilmot, rewrote the script to make it about black soldiers. I think that's fantastic. I think that's a great yeah. backstory. I had no idea um, that mm-hmm. that was out there. Uh, and I think that that makes for an interesting take on this movie, too. It's also interesting that it's essentially charade uh, with Cary Grant, which we're <laughs> which we just did on the show. What do you mean? Uh, it's coming out familiar. soon. Well, I oh, mean, it's about the, the it's the, about the war know, veterans. Soldiers. Yeah, the soldiers. Yeah, war veterans, yeah. treasure coming together, trying to get the money. Yeah. Uh, it's very different in execution, but a different part <laughs> of the story. But it's just funny that yeah. all of a sudden, like. These are the stories that are yeah, out right. there. So. Well, it's uh, like, like we're yeah. defining trope, right? Well, they've always um, called what? charade the white defied bloods, right? Yeah. <laughs> Does that track? That's right. That's right. <laughs> well, That's right. you talk about the execution and how it's different. Um, and I think uh, multiple, a couple of you guys mentioned how you can feel Spike Lee's hand in this movie. Um, mm-hmm. What were some of the things that you really liked that made this a Spike Lee joint? Well, we got the, the Spike dolly shot. Twice. The dolly tracking yep. shot. Right. Yeah. So that's very exciting. Cool. Uh, I was just waiting for it. Now it's a, it's effectively the Hitchcock cameo. Yes. Uh, and I think they did it well. It wasn't long enough. Uh, yeah. I I think in either shot. Tom, you mentioned something but. about uh, double impact. Oh, his um, every time that they would hug in this movie, uh, it would be played with coverage over one shoulder and then again over the other shoulder. And yeah. I think it might be, I know that he's used this in the past. There are certain things never for a hug, but I had just watched uh, as a part of the black lives matter inside man on Netflix. <laughs> I guess mm-hmm. it's, it's uh, no, it's called, it's a part of, it's listed as the BLM yes, I, I, thing. I don't know why, but okay. uh, I think yeah. just cause it's Spike Lee. Yes. Um, yeah. And, but there's like a grift part where he like deposits the diamond and it's played twice. So that's different. But in this, I think it's, perfectly timely in a time when for social distancing is I felt (laughs) those hugs. I miss hugs more. I mean, I live alone and hugging a dog is a little weird. Uh, And so, but I mean, every time they would hug, it was a really cool cinematic way to solidify brothers coming together. Yeah. Because hugs don't make noise. High fives make noise. Hugs don't, but instead he did the visual job of making a hug make noise which yeah, that was spike, really cool spike lee's hugs do make noise but yeah. i think um it's interesting because i didn't notice them as double impacts when i was watching it oh because i just thought they were really long <laughs> this is almost embarrassing to admit i just thought they were really long like double in, in double slap intense hugs even though it, oh like coming uh, apart and then coming right. back together and then once you showed <laughs> once you showed the video once you brought up the video of what a double impact was i was like oh yeah. yeah, so it's, that's it's a coverage. Thing. It's <laughs> Tom, a filmmaking Tom, thing. Do you know? Do you know the first double impact? Do you do you have a sense of just from film history how long the double impact has been a, a tool? I've usually noticed them, or when I first started noticing them, was explosions. That mm-hmm. I felt that it sure. was a way of like yeah. that that you spend so much money on explosions and have four or five cameras on them at some point director said triple quadruple we're just going to show it blowing up three to four times and that cinematic language was immediately forgiving because it's like one thing you kind of want to see again from another thing is an explosion pete go ahead 
I, as soon as they started using them on people, <laughs> I started getting really frustrated because it looks like they screw up, right? It looks yes. like they just and didn't tweak the edit. The very enough. first the one when they meet in the hotel in Five Bloods yes. legitimately looks like bad editing. It looks like bad editing. But then it became until more you realize deliberate. he's doing it. Right. Yeah. Until he does it multiple times. Yeah. And, and I think I think it's just sloppy. And I hate it's like you don't like uh, it. it. It's like fashion choices that I think are weird. Like, uh, I don't know. It, it just to me, it's <laughs> like, how did we adapt to thinking this is useful and cool when it's stupid? It's just a stupid, <laughs> sloppy editing choice. And I hate it's, it. Well, now the it makes me crazy. It, the but I like of it, it is this. to highlight emotion. I didn't like it at all. Okay. Well, I mean, I get that, but it, like, like this could go to like other conversations we've had about like handheld camera, right? Where we talk about shaky yeah. cam and stuff yep. like this, where it became a thing to do and something special because it was supposed to make things raw. And, and so this, the idea about the double impact is meant to highlight the event, make it, give it more weight, give it more emotional presence. So I get why you might think it's stupid, but I also understand the purpose that he's trying to do by putting it in this movie, even though I didn't realize it was happening. <laughs> well, exactly. And and I think that that is a, that is a challenge of using a, a tool like this, right. or I'll just say it, a trick, uh, okay. because it, it is, it, it is a, a manipulation that is risky because there is a portion, a non-zero uh, portion of the population watching this movie who are going to think that it's sloppy editing. Yeah. yeah. And my hands yes, up in who are not going to feel emotional about it. They're going to feel sure. like, guys, Spike Lee, I thought was a better filmmaker than that. How did he let that get through? <laughs> it's it's all about vocabulary and it, it, people adapt. I mean, it goes back to just the initial concept of editing. If you see somebody raising a knife towards somebody and then another shot yeah. of somebody could be 100 miles away reacting, you know, defensively, yeah. our brain puts that together because we're, you know, we, we have to assemble some type of meaning. I think it's just going to be a visual vocabulary that people are going to yeah. adapt and adjust to because I, I mean, heck, You've got to remember decades ago when TV, you know, news stations started having the crawl go across the bottom and it was like, there's too much information on my screen. I don't know what to pay attention to. Now yeah, there's like, like yeah. everything on there now, right? It's yeah. we crawl Pete in just six directions. Yes. Pete, just stop being a grumpy old man and get over it. Okay. Dang it, Steve. The double impact is like the cinema equivalent of Crocs. <laughs> They're making a comeback now. They Crocs are. are making a comeback yes. in quarantine. Uh, yeah. So this is the problem. I'm telling you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I'm, you know, I'm glad that, that, that we're able to talk about all those things because I think, um, I think, you know, whether they're effective or not, I feel like they've had purpose. And I, I yeah. think it's interesting to think of it as a manipulation because it, it ultimately is right. And, and some manipulations we enjoy and some we get a little bit pulled out with. And so speaking think, about manipulations, cause you yeah. brought up the idea of Spike Lee things and stuff. Yeah. Uh, I'd mm -hmm. like, just wanted to bring up to throw on the pyre, the aspect ratios. There's three different aspect oh, yes. ratios yes. used That's in this next movie. On my list. And then also the subtitles. Yeah. Right. Weird thing about the subtitles. Every word is capitalized. Didn't know. Oh. <laughs> Just don't understand it. That to me seems like a typographical error. <laughs> that's my double impact to Pete. But yeah, if we want to talk about the aspect ratios for a second, that's a big swing. Well, I got the old one. It, how, did you feel like that was a manipulation too? Did you feel like that was uh, it was a trick? Was it was it effective? Was it not? I think everything and so many things in cinema are tricks in yeah. a way that I would rather call them illusions. Because changing cinema language right. is respectable. 
on a the trick, prestige. A, a trick makes it seem like I felt that the score personally, I love the soundtrack in this movie. The score I hated I because that was the biggest really? trick in the movie. The it was so oh, I love the score. overbearing I love the and manipulative. Yeah. That I call a trick. That I say like, you're so worried that your film can't get you somewhere. You need the score to force people into a way to feel. The Whereas score, the aspect ratio, I felt, was an interesting way to switch things up. Yeah. Well, the aspect ratio was a narrative tool. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, you know, it it we needed something, and I think we especially needed something because of their no de aging uh, uh, of their strategy of not de aging or point. having mm-hmm. different actors play the younger characters. We had to do something, and it was uh, an easy and elegant way to do it. There is actually the the most. Uh, interesting one, I think it was, which for me was pretty shocking and very fast was, um, you know, as we were moving back from, I think it was the first flashback uh, where we were in, in, in the valley with the plane. And then there is a, the aspect ratio starts to change and it's, it's, it's very slow uh, as the, the frame just sort of grows. And there's a motorcycle wipe. Yeah. Uh, and the motorcycle swings by and suddenly you're in a McDonald's. Right. And I thought mm-hmm. that was that is that exemplifies why that aspect ratio is so important. Right. We needed it. Like, I, I don't I feel like the score like it or hate it. Like, I didn't feel manipulated by it. I thought it was a luscious pairing to the to to where we were in, in the world. Even in the battle um, scenes. Like See, when the we bat- had this the battle sweeping... scenes, I thought that the, oh, he just it so set it weird. to he set Spotify to vaguely yeah. like like courageous because right. it didn't it didn't even match it didn't match the <laughs> visuals guys. it didn't match the visuals it was so yeah, weird. Like, hey Google, get me courageous strings. Like it was yes. it was so weird. I Google don't do that. Uh, oh sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I thought if I didn't use the other one's name that it would work. Right. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> um, no, I. I, I, I was really taken out of it during the battle scenes. I, it was Me it too. really felt like a strange uh, imitation of what yes. I, what I would be looking to see. And and, and now I yes. agree with you, Tommy, that the soundtrack was amazing, especially the acapella. What's going on? Mm-hmm. As they're in, like some like honestly, they could have just pulled the the soundtrack, uh, the voice out of the soundtrack, and used that for a lot of these scenes. But I just like in the battle scenes, I just I, a lot of times I almost wanted to turn the sound off. Yeah, because I was so distracted, especially by the, that by first the one. score. The very yeah. first one was just it might as well have been a different movie. What did you love about it? Pete? What was, what was the me. thing that you liked? I just thought it was luscious and it, it was, was it, it was, was very much not spike. Like, mm. you, you know what I mean? That's like it, it is. It's it was new. It was something it was like letting it wasn't just like uh, a saxophone. <laughs> yeah, I, Terrence, I, I think Terrence Blanchard, I, I just think he. They they let him loose a little bit on this on this score in a way that I think really um, it, it provided a wonderful sort of sound foundation to a lot of these uh, a lot of these more intense sequences. I loved the soundtrack. I also loved the score for the very reason. I think cool. they used music generally well. <laughs> I'm glad that we disagree on it because it, for for me it was so it was so distracting and I, that was one of the things that it made it hard for me to buy into the scenes yeah. that where action was happening. Well, I think it's interesting too that the sound, the the uh, score is largely listenable, which is another, I think, a, a trait of Spike's scores. His music is usually, you know, it's good music, but this score, it's not. Um, this one, I think, has a lot of a lot of really lovely themes that that I think will will work well and and 
get better over time. Yeah, Pete will be very courageous as he goes out to get the mail. He'll have that <laughs> courageous, triumphant music as he goes out to get his mail. Mostly what I listen to is Trent Reznor, Atticus Ross soundtracks. So, okay. oh. like, all of this is academic. I'm all social network, y'all. Yeah, so you're just always sort of in a rubber suit. <laughs> yeah. There's just always something a little spider girl about you. Well, let's talk about the cast a little bit. I mean, we've already talked a lot about Delroy Lindo um, and, and some of the other ones that were here. Are there people that you would like to bring up specifically? I think uh, p- potentially part of my difficulty with the pinballing was that uh, in, in Delroy, in the Paul character, is that I didn't really understand how he was affecting the other characters. One of that r- big things really happened with uh, Jonathan Majors, who played his son, David, is that I couldn't understand David's motivation as it changed throughout the film because of the the intense changes that were happening to Paul. And that was really difficult for me. I don't know, again, if that was his performance, but I feel like the way that character was written, it was really difficult for me to get a sense of what was going on. That's interesting because Marvin Gaye is asking that the entire movie. (laughs) (laughs) Jonathan Major's character as David was always a little difficult for me, starting from the way that he was introduced. Yeah. In this really weird, he's just there in the room. He just showed up. It seemed very sort of haphazard and stuff. And he's, uh, Spike Lee puts a lot on his shoulders. As I mentioned before, he's supposed to be sort of really broad comic relief. He's shown as he's filmed as a small child, you know, as in an adult man sipping orange juice with this weird sort of. He he's in a room of men and he's really filmed from the top down below. And then he's supposed to have a love relationship and he's supposed to be the better of them. And he's supposed to be, it's just, he was a lot. He was very, if there was one pinballing thing for me, it was everything they tried to make him do. Right. The, The actor. Yeah, no, I felt that way about that too. And I think it had an effect on that entire main storyline for me. And that's mm-hmm. kind of why I felt that way. You mentioned the love interest. That's uh, Melanie Thierry, uh, who played Hetty. Um, th- th- she, it, that was equally as uh, extreme for me because she went back and forth and did all kinds of crazy things too. I just, I, it, with the orbital characters, right? With not the main four guys, it was very difficult for me to understand character motivation and character, w- what they were going to choose to do next, because they, it felt like they kept changing on me. It's a, I think that one of the problems potentially is to use your word, the orbital characters were used as pure reaction. Right. To the main four. And so they didn't really yeah. feel like real people to me. They really, he did a big push about daddy issues with... Um, the character of David, but that did come later. He didn't right. seem like a daddy's boy in the beginning. He seemed like an opportunistic dolt. Right. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, they just needed, when I talked in the very beginning about this, some of this movie, one of my complaints is that it feels a little episodic. At times, they hike for a while, stop, and then one of the orbital characters gets them all into a fight. Right. And then there's a joke and then they make up and then they hike and then a joke and a fight and then make up. And a lot of that, I think the orbital characters bear the brunt of a lot of that. She's supposed to be a love interest. She's not. She's the voice of righteousness. She's not. It's a little, it's a, it's a lot. Are you saying, suggesting that, that, you know, some of that character trait is called into question when she becomes complicit in the, the, Wanting a share, thieving, thieving of the gold. No, I guess I was saying voice I of, what I didn't finish it. I should, <laughs> okay. I could have said voice of righteousness versus uh, cute love interest. Uh, 
Okay. I guess I'm. I, I it wasn't voice of prejudice versus uh, element of greed. It was just her. She swung in the weeds. They do have a. She meat swung cute. in the wind. They do have a literal meat <laughs> cute in yes. the weeds. Yeah, they do. It's adorable. A meat so a cute. meat cute in Vietnam is not. Yeah, it's not in the wind. It's in the weeds. Exactly. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, and and I felt that way. I mean, I I don't know if it's fair to call them orbital characters, but that's really the way that the story is told. And I I think. For me, I would have enjoyed, um, just like Pete is saying, more of the Otis, Tian, and daughter story, more of the of the stories with direct relation with what was going on with those sort, four, sort of main four characters. Because I think there was a lot to tell there, and I think we spent too much time with those reactions that you're talking about, Tommy. And, and because of that, I felt I felt less good about the way that those those actors came out because they felt so like paper thin. Um, it, it, I love Chadwick Boseman. <laughs> I thought he was amazing in this movie. I'm really happy he was in it. I feel like, for me, uh, I know it's the Delroy Lindo movie, but I feel like Chadwick Boseman like carried the movie for me. <laughs> like I was happy every time we were watching him unseen, and I think that's that's kind of on purpose, right? I mean, that's who Norman is to these guys. He's their motivation, and that how uh, I I just felt like it was wonderfully delivered uh, by Spike Lee and by Chadwick Boseman. They did it, and it was perfect for me. I do too. I like Chadwick Boseman a lot, and it's surprising because he's not in the movie very much no. like he's he's got kind of a small small but powerful role and i found myself like wondering actively as i'm getting choked up at their hug at the end how did this get so earned right uh. like how did they make me feel like this because i just got through a very weird like staring contest with delroy lindo in a <laughs> river and now i'm like on the verge of tears and I don't know how that happened. Like, that was it's, amazing. It's earned off screen. And that's kind of the amazing thing, right? Because they're constantly yeah. talking about Paul being their motivation, giving him that Christ-like sort of like that that reverence and all these things. They're constantly talking about, Norman. oh, I said Paul, Norman. Yeah, yeah. yeah Norman yeah. being their sort of goal and th that they're there for him and all these things. I think... Um, I think the script actually does a really good job of setting you up for that emotional payoff. Oh yeah, he's. I mean, he's the best of them, and I think they they say that a couple times. And you've got mm -hmm. the if, early on, you've got that whole he's teaching them as they're they're out there. He's you know as you said, he's sort of that Christ figure. He's he's got these ideas. He he teaches them about MLK and Malcolm X and all of these things. And so he he represents you know yeah the the ideal. So I think it is. It's it's you you don't need a lot of screen time to get what the. You don't need a lot of screen time to get the payoff from that because I think it, as JJ says, a lot of it is uh, off screen because it's it's the interactions between them. You you notice the void of the you know with the only mm -hmm. four being there and the absence. I think speaks speaks strongly uh, with with Norman. Yeah. Well, and part of it also is he's all promise. He he yeah. it, he can be the best of them because he didn't come home. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Which is right. a dark thing to say, but it is true. He's the absolute, he's the savior. He's the promise. He's yeah. what could have been. Yeah, those aspects of the story, those, those inferences are kind of what are the best parts of this movie to me. Um, and, and where you can take the story in your mind with the metaphor and what they're telling you, I think that what makes this uh, movie a discussion piece is, I think, what makes, makes it good. I, I know we're getting a little bit long in the tooth on this, but I just, I'm, I'm very curious how you guys feel about the the... Well, I'll call it the last Spike Leeism that I'm interested in is the the documentary documentarian strokes at the beginning mm. and the end, um, bringing in the real footage, doing things like when they mention uh, a a person 
whether it's Aretha Franklin or this yeah. Oliver character showing their pictures on screen. Atticus. Um, Atticus, yeah. right, yeah. right. Yeah. Those, Atticus stuff. Yeah. Those yeah. kinds of things. Uh, this movie, Spike uses that more than I think any other film that I've seen him use this particular trick. It was it was a lot, and uh, I'm curious how it hit you. Guys. Well, it was too much for me, and I mentioned it a little bit in my intro. Yeah. Uh, that alongside the Netflix release made it feel like I was watching, and that, this is where we get in the concept of this felt like new original content from Netflix as opposed to a theatrical release for Spike Lee. Um, and again, I, I think it's because of those factors put together that it made me feel that way. It was more than I've seen him do in other movies, and it felt like it was uh, chosen to do for that reason. Um, so I didn't like it. Um, and my question for myself in that is, how would I have felt if I, or how would it have hit me if I was in the theater watching it? And I don't really know. I don't. I don't. I, I can't figure out how it would feel. But so I didn't like it. And that's. And I usually love that kind of stuff that take you out of the 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 movie in a way that's creative and wonderful. But for this, with it being released on TV, it was too much for me. Well, it, part of the Netflix deal was it was supposed to be released in theaters. I didn't know so, that. Yeah. So he. Uh, I was reading an article about Spike. You know, his journey to getting this made, and he said, "Yeah, the part of the distribution deal was it was supposed to hit." supposed to be released in theaters netflix wanted it in theaters COVID happened um so then you know the the you know reporter asked well do you see this you know getting out into theaters and spike said yes i would like to see it out in theaters when it's safe for people to be out in theaters to see it so sure. the question is now that it's been out there on netflix is anybody going to go out there does this merit the big cinematic experience i i don't know i think Parts of it do, but I I reacted really well to this. I thought all that stuff worked for me because I'm always open to breaking format and and doing something different. Uh, sometimes it draws attention to itself, but I think that's the intent of I'm going to do something and we're going to set this up at the beginning of here's all these historical events so that when I talk about this this soldier that you know threw himself on a grenade and we have a photo of that and then we talk about Aretha Franklin and we have a photo of her it wasn't for me it wasn't too much because there were it was at the beginning the end and just a few moments in between um and for me i i think it it keeps us rooted in the fact that this that there's historical importance to this and again this is where with the orbital characters I, I don't care because to me it's not about the characters it's about spike sharing a message that he wants the audience to walk away with and so for me that format works because it's not about a story to be told it's about a story that's conveying information and it's the information that's of primary importance not the journey of the characters alone well, and now, Steve, you you may know this answer because of what we do for Trailer Rewind, but it, it it is already showing up as number three for Netflix on their top ten list for the weekend. Do you know what that means? Is that mean I have no idea where they get those numbers because I yeah. saw they started doing that with the like this week number one is this, and I'm they like have to take it on their their word because they don't on their words right. Yes, they don't well, release numbers, and it's. We want, you know, because I thought I saw like Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs was up in the in the top ten. I don't know if it's right now. Yes, because it just hit Netflix. So I don't know if it's regional. Oh, because of Pride Week. What? That doesn't I make any know. sense. <laughs> no, but I don't know if it's if it's regional because it could be a regional factor. Because what shows up in my top 
10 may be different from uh, what Thomas oh, yeah, sees and what you see up there. Never if it's, to me. Because well, I've got to imagine it's not going to be the same global VPN to Tokyo. Right. Yes. You want to see some interesting stuff? Yes, I imagine. So, so it, okay, it may so just all that be is interesting. Your, yeah. But the, 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 the information point, the data point that I found that in was yeah. uh, was on the internet. It wasn't on my screen as, as number oh, three. It okay. was saying it's number three for the weekend. I know that top 10 sort of ribbon yeah. that you have as part of Netflix may change for different people, but I'd be really interesting to see it. And I mean, uh, Pete, that we know right through Comscore that we can get that data. It's just that people don't release it, right? Right. Okay. That, that's, yeah. that is exactly right. Yeah. And Netflix has, Netflix has extraordinary data, accurate yeah. data. Yeah. They just don't share habits. Yeah. So I'd be wondering yeah. what, what informs that. I thought that was a really interesting thing there. Uh, you know, and kind of, you know, moving forward, I think, you know, we have to figure out uh, how we're going to view movies like this. I'm, I'm really thankful you mentioned that part of the deal was to get it into theaters. I don't know. I mean, I can't imagine that that's still going to happen now that we're in this yeah. quicksand of. Yeah what's going to happen yeah. but it, i mean maybe this is uh this is a good measure of how a movie's performing mm-hmm. if netflix is is promoting it in this way well i i i like the uh, i just want to get back to the the documentary stuff because yeah. i think it's really important okay. and because i have a knit and i feel like a very small petty person because of okay. it he used it's going to tell you a lot about me an offensively banal font <laughs> typeface for the for the titles on screen i was agitated every single time it looked like a child did it yeah it was like Like a disrespectful iMovie powerpoint like template font and i was mad so between you and tommy we now have we're now grammar and like and and (laughs) and usage trolls (laughs) yes yeah and i i think of that i would not like my rating of the film but my overall enjoyment of the film is not necessarily impacted by typeface no i get it but i was agitated and and tommy you know about the capitalization like it's not <laughs> right it's <laughs> weird right. though it's weird what's the point right. who line edited that stuff yeah. come on yeah <laughs> uh i think those are fine nits but what i'm mostly happy about is the fact that you guys confessed them because i think that says much more about you than it does <laughs> it's, about a safe, the movie. it's a safe space <laughs> exactly so uh but other than that did you guys have any other closing remarks that you wanted to say about defy bloods I tried to go on a little bit of a dive. He makes such a big deal during his soliloquy. You're not going to kill Paul. You're not going to kill Paul. Yeah. So I went back into biblical mm. references just to see if there was anything. There wasn't anything that much other than the fact that uh, Delroy Lindo does turn a corner. He is visited by someone and turns yeah. in Paul in the Bible uh, was a persecutor of Christians until mm. on the road to Damascus. He's visited by God, is shown a vision of Jesus, and then becomes an apostle. Uh, that was the only thing that I could right. really come with as far as Paul, what the importance of Paul, right. uh, because I like Bible stuff. Steve, thoughts? Yeah, I I was wondering the same thing. Yeah. You name a character, Paul, and it, 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 yeah, there's the, I don't think there's much there. Well, what I, I said I, was kind yeah. of smart. No, 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 exactly. I mean, that's, that's the, he does sort of have his conversion moment where right. he has his, where right. he has his vision. And that was sort of a, because he's right there in that moment with Norman. And then when he comes out of that, he's surrounded. Right. Well, I think yeah. to really yeah. figure out what the movie's trying to say, I need both of you guys to do research on the Apostle Melvin. Um, <laughs> <laughs> right now, I think it's time that we get into it and rank it. Let's rank this movie here today. Hey, yeah. <laughs> Flick chart. 
<laughs> that's the most appropriate song that you've ever written for a movie. We've got all the movies we've talked about on this show ranked over at flickchart.com slash TNR film board. Flickchart is a really cool site where you can create a tournament style stack ranking of your movie preferences. So check it out and find out how your film favorites fare against ours. Pete, what's going on with Flickchart? Uh, well, I just have to say, I just ranked on my personal list I and I came up with the most troublesome pairing that I think I've ever run up against. Oh, boy. It is, how do you rate to five bloods against 30 nights? How do you even start? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> 30 nights? No. I that, that's not actually our first okay, ranking. Good. I just okay. felt like yeah. you all had to share in my anxiety. Good. It was very difficult. That's appropriate. Uh, let's uh, let's see. If, if it's uh, about the Vietnam with... experience versus the Vietnam experience, clearly <laughs> yeah. really, thirty, the, 30 yeah, nights it's... really gets in there. The <laughs> uh, five bloods against Kingsman: The Golden Circle. Is that the second one? I know yeah. I ask this every yeah. time. Uh, Kingsman: The Golden Circle. I think I am too. I'm Kingsman. The five bloods. The five bloods. Okay, oh, I can't believe it. He, no, you, of course, and, you guys, you and Tommy do your Rochambeau action. Okay, Tom. One, two, three. Paper. Paper. Oh, scissors. A shotgun. What? You gotta keep. Oh, it's yeah, just goes right going. away. Okay, okay, go. You go just ahead. keep going okay, until count you down come to three up with something again. different. Go ahead. All right, all right. One, two, three. Rock. Paper. Scissors. Oh. You beat me. So Kingsman wins. Why did you say, oh, you because beat me? Because I feel bad. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's Paper Rock Scissors Remorse. It's a, it's, okay, it's so contagious. that means uh, Kingsman, wins. Kingsman wins. That's deeply yes. unfortunate. That's why I said, oh. <laughs> I feel yeah, like I'm making a bad decision for America. <laughs> no, that was, that was wrong. Okay. How about The Five Bloods or The Hobbit, An Unexpected Journey? The Five Bloods. The Five Bloods. <laughs> See, everybody listen to me. I said The Five Bloods. Yeah. <laughs> My name's Tommy. Uh, how about the Five Bloods against The Dark Knight Rises. Dark Knight Rises. Is that the third one? That's yes. the third one. Dark Knight Rises. Remember, I'll say The Five Bloods. I am saying The Five Bloods. I'm saying The Five Bloods. Uh, how about uh, The Five Bloods or The Born Legacy? The That's Bloods. the Jeremy Renner one, correct? Oh, The Five Bloods. The Five Bloods. The Five Bloods. The Five Bloods or Yesterday? Ooh. Abstain? The five bloods. Ooh. Yeah, the five. The five bloods. <laughs> the five bloods or hail Caesar. The five bloods. <laughs> oh, I love oh. It. it's been a long time since I've seen it. And usually, Cohen movies you need I'm like say four hail Caesar four viewings to really get it. Uh, I'm gonna say the five bloods. JJ, you were the five bloods. I was. I am also the Five Bloods. Congratulations! Oh, the Five Bloods is now number forty-eight on your flick chart. Out of, out of? oh, you should know that. How about ninety-three? Forty-eight out of ninety-three. That puts oh. it squarely at uh, right around forty-eight uh, percent. It is, if we are to go by the algorithm, 
it should be a two and a half star movie See, over. And at that's interesting Sound because so I'm curious. When I did my own flick chart, it came up a little bit lower. It was a two star for me. But even in our conversation here, I'm definitely appreciating much more about what the story is telling. I we didn't talk about this that much on the show, but I felt when I was watching it, I felt like the story was really straightforward, and I wasn't able to buy into the subtext. You guys have really helped me learn a bit about different ways to see what was happening there. So I raised it a half star. I went right in line with the algorithm. I am two and a half stars and a like. Tommy, where are you? Three and a like. Steve? Steve? Four and a like. Okay. Yeah, I, I it it came out much higher than than you guys on my list. It it landed at 264 out of 1453. That's an 82%. And that's a solid four stars. And I'm going to stick with it. It's a four stars and a like for me too. So I'm I I really enjoyed my time with this movie. I think it's it's Spike Lee at some of his expressive bests. And even when it doesn't really work for me, I so love that this guy exists. I just love it. Agreed. Yeah. Where do we go from here? Next month, we kind of have a hybrid month because of the weird holding pattern for the industry. We are definitely going to talk about the Hamilton movie release on Disney Plus July 3rd. We'll talk about it after the holiday yeah. week at some point. But additionally, the new Christopher Nolan movie, Tenet, is still talking about a something in July release date. And we're kind of geeked about that, too. So that may be a possibility as well. So stay tuned. You can, you can use my joke, JJ. You can use my joke. The, the tentative release? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's all in the delivery, baby. You just, just got to love I'm it. Just I happy. think at this point, this is that's America's joke. <laughs> you you prefaced it by saying it was your joke so I felt comfortable saying it I wouldn't have had you not um, where is the main show right now That's you guys are doing sad. Alfred Hitchcock right I don't know no, no Cary we're Grant. not doing Alfred Hitchcock we're in the middle of Cary Grant oh. and so there uh, so we've, we've <laughs> the Alfred as Hitchcock of this, it's the Alfred <laughs> This so we just finished as uh, last week uh, arsenic and old lace oh, and uh, this yes, yes, coming yes. week we uh, we've got north by northwest. Oh, that's Alfred Hitchcock, uh, right? Am I just out of my gourd on this? No, you're right. Okay, <laughs> you're fine. You're good. Yeah, no, you're in good shape. Thank you. Uh, and then the uh, the Alfred Hitchcockiest Alfred Hitchcock <laughs> that Alfred Hitchcock never made was Charade, and that's coming up as the last movie of our. Oh, you're doing uh, that. Of, of our movie. We're doing Charade, and so that's that's coming out at the end of of June. Uh, and that'll be before we take a little uh, July hiatus. And that's awesome because that, you can talk on, about on it in relation to this story now, yeah. too. So that's kind of cool. Yeah. Uh, we did talk about Discard in the opening, so you can come find us there. But I also need to tell you about that the absolute best way to support what we do here is on Patreon. Committing to connecting there helps us do fun things and support all of our growth endeavors for a film-filled future. You can find our Patreon info at patreon.com slash thenextreel. We appreciate you Patreon folks so much. There are special channels on the Discord server for patrons alongside our general chats too. That's where we'll keep the conversation going. But for this one, say goodnight, Pete Wright. Good night. See you later, Tommy Handsome. We did it. And one more word from Steve Sarmento. Hondo. At the next reel, when the movie ends, our conversation begins. Till next.
Here on the film board, we have covered quite a variety of great page-to-screen adaptations over the years, from superheroes like Christopher Nolan's The Dark Knight Rises, based on stories like Nightfall and The Dark Knight Returns, to horror and sci-fi like Max Brooks's World War Z and Hiroshi Sakazuraka's All You Need Is Kill, which became one of our favorites, Edge of Tomorrow, with Tom Cruise and Emily Blunt. And who could forget Andy Weir's stranded astronaut adventure, The Martian, or Dave Eggers' tech thriller, The Circle? Supposedly so much better than the movie. We've also explored Stephen King epics like The Dark Tower and It, biopics like Damien Chazelle's First Man, and sweeping sagas like Denis Villeneuve's take on Frank Herbert's Dune. And don't forget Martin Scorsese's Killers of the Flower Moon, based on David Grant's nonfiction book about the 1920s murders of the Osage Nation. I just finished the book, and it's fantastic. It's always fascinating to look at the source material, and we often do as the book lovers we are. For those of you out there who love to do the same, head to thenextreel.com slash originals to find all of our past episodes and dive deeper into these adapted stories. And it's not just stories. We've included things like the video games Uncharted and Detective Pikachu. That's right. TheNextReel.com slash originals is your one-stop shop for in-depth looks at the sources for cinematic adaptations that we have discussed. Every purchase you make supports the film board and The Next Reel's family of shows. So what are you waiting for? Head to TheNextReel.com slash originals and get your next read today. Mm-hmm.